Well, good evening. It's nice to see such a nice group all tonight, and trust the Lord to bless our time together in His Word. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Revelation chapter 2. That song, Lay Some Soul Upon My Heart, and Love That Soul Through Me, and May I Wholly Do My Part to Win That Soul for Thee. Can you remember an experience in your life when the Lord laid a soul upon your heart and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ gripped you and brought you to the point where you were willing to do anything to see that person come to know the Lord and, and then you saw that person come to the Lord and see the marvelous change and the way the Lord has blessed as a result of that. <clears throat> uh, the reason I mention that is uh, that that happened to me uh, nearly 50 years ago, actually a little over 50 years ago, uh, and it, it concerns my dear wife. Um, I hope she doesn't mind me sharing this, <laughs> but uh, when I first dated Pat, <laughs> she didn't know the Lord, and yet I had a feeling this was the girl that the Lord had for me. And I also knew that it wouldn't be possible unless she knew the Lord. And so uh, I did what I could do to encourage her and come to the meetings and things. And you know, the Lord, in a relatively short time, brought the gospel through her heart, and she accepted the Lord. And at that time, her parents didn't know the Lord, and when it was time for me to ask her to be my wife, uh, her father wasn't real happy about that because he thought she was going to be giving up so much, you know, marrying someone like me who was religious. I wasn't religious. I just knew the Lord. <clears throat> you know, she did. And she witnessed to her mom and dad. And down the road, her mom and dad come to know the Lord. You know, it, it's a marvelous thing. Uh, when the Lord lays on your heart the need to share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ with someone. And when he lays it on your heart, you'd better do it. And if you do it, you'd be surprised how the Lord will intervene. I've seen it, I've experienced it, and I encourage it. But you see, you have to love that soul. You see, it's not something you can cram down people's throats. You know, they have to see the love of Christ in your life and the importance of it in your life. I just want to encourage you. You know, we sing these songs, you know, they're nice. But, you know, by the time you walk out the door, you've almost kind of forgot many of the songs you sang. But, you know, as we sing the marvelous truths, let's make sure we apply those in our lives as well. Well, tonight we're going to pick up where we uh, left off this morning. Uh, we're looking at the... Uh, seven churches, and uh, I see uh, Max and Beth out there. They haven't heard this particular lesson. Uh, they heard the one you heard this morning, and if I continue to speak on this at Avenue 54 next week, they're going to probably hear it again. So uh, uh, either they will stay away, which I probably wouldn't blame them, but on the other hand, uh, they'll have a pretty good understanding. But we're looking at the seven churches, and of course this morning we looked at the church of Ephesus, 
And we pointed out, you know, the church at Ephesus uh, had a, a great beginning. Uh, they were seated in the heavenlies with Christ. You know, Paul wrote such a marvelous letter concerning <clears throat> the marvelous condition of that church. But 35 years later, John writes, you have fallen. And, of course, they had fallen because they had lost their first love. Their love for the Lord Jesus Christ had diminished. And even though they were doing a lot of great things in their local assembly, the love of the Lord was no longer in their lives as it was at one time. And even though they were working and laboring, little blessing was taking place. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ has to be the center of everything. And that's what we learned this morning. And we trust that we took the advice that the Lord gave to those who had fallen away. Remember from what you have fallen from. Repent and go back to where you were in that relationship with the Lord. I trust we took that to heart and thought about it and dealt with it in our lives this afternoon. Well, tonight we're going to be looking at two other churches, as time permits here. And we're going to take them in the order that they're given here. And tonight, the first one is Smyrna. So let's read verses 8 through 11. <clears throat> and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things say the first and the last, who is dead, and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. God will bless the reading of his word. Now, we mentioned this morning the two phrases that are mentioned by the Lord to each of the churches. The first is, I see very clearly your works. Nothing slips by the eye of the Lord. And he also says, ye who have ears to hear, let him hear at once, immediately, what the Lord is saying to the church. We emphasize this morning, who is the church? It's every one of you individual believers. That's where it begins. Yes, we know the church is the body of Christ. We also recognize it as the bride of Christ. But you have to understand, this assembly is made up of individual stones. You're just one of the many stones in the marvelous organism which is known as the body of Christ. And you see, as a church, if we're going to do those things that please the Lord, it has to begin in the hearts and lives of each individual member of the body of Christ. So again, as we go through these things, we said we want you to evaluate yourself personally 
those things that the Lord has, uh, is pleased about, make sure those are going on in your life. And if they're not, then repent and return. And make sure those things are going on in your life. And if you find as he's giving the rebuke, the righteous judge, you know, has the right to do that. To give you a rebuke. And you find that that is stinging because you recognize it in your own life. Then again, repent. Deal with it. So you are no longer doing those things in your life that displease the Lord. Well, we mentioned that there was one church where the Lord gave a commendation, but did not give a rebuke. And that's the church that's before us right now. And as you look at Smyrna, the word Smyrna means myrrh. Myrrh. Now, you know, myrrh has many uses. And one of those uses, of course, was to embalm the dead. But, of course, in order to do that, they had to crush the myrrh to have its fragrance come forth. It had to be crushed. And there's some significance in the fact that the name for Smyrna means myrrh because this was a church that was literally being crushed by persecution that Satan was sending their way. And how ironic that the fragrance that can come forth from being crushed, you see, the myrrh had to be crushed for the fragrance to come forth. And in verse 8, the Lord refers to himself as the one who has already conquered death and is alive. If you remember back when we uh, read verse 18 of chapter 1, as part of the, the thing that John saw when he looked back to see who was talking to him. He says, I am the one who was living and was dead, but behold, I am alive forevermore. And now here he refers to himself as the one who has conquered death again and is alive. In verses 9 and 10, Christ knew with absolute clearness, and again, I want to emphasize that. You can hide nothing from the Lord. He knows with absolute clearness your works. And what he brings out here, he understood and knew with absolute clearness the church at Smyrna was facing tribulation, was facing persecution, was facing martyrdom, was facing poverty under the influence of Satan because of their loyalty to Christ. Now, just think about that for a moment. Here we sit, you know, in our nice pews. I don't know how much suffering you've done for the Lord. I have not done all that much suffering for the Lord. Oh, there's been a few occasions. But these dear saints were going through tremendous suffering for the Lord. And you know what he says is, I absolutely see with clearness what's happening to you dear saints in Smyrna. You see, 
he also knew it would continue. And he shared that with them. In the latter part of verse 10, it says 10 days, but I'm not sure there's any significance. Maybe there is. But to me, it just indicates to them he understands what they're going through, but he says, you know, it's going to continue. It's going to continue. You know, we live in a wicked, sinful world, and it does have an effect in our lives. There's no question. It's easy to become discouraged when you look at the world around you, when you know you're living in it. You know you have the answer, but nobody will listen to you. You think it's going to get better? No. This is going to continue, and it's only going to get worse. You see, these dear saints were suffering. He knew it. He said, I see it very clearly. But I want you to also know it's going to continue. And, you know, Christ reveals himself here as having endured the same and risen triumphantly. You know, if you have an occasion to suffer for the Lord, no matter how severe it might be, and I have to speak to myself concerning this as well, uh, don't give yourself a pity party. Instead, look to the Lord. Who could ever suffer more than he did? No one. You see, he endured all these things and rose victorious from it. You know, and as you think about those particular words, these had to be words of encouragement to these dear saints. Because in essence, what the Lord is saying is, in their suffering and trials and testing, and when we're talking about suffering and trials and testing, we're not talking here about the physical problems we have, or the fact that I'm out of work and I, I don't have enough money. You know, those are all real problems, I, and I'm not minimizing them. And we have every right to go to the Lord with those things. We're talking about suffering for the Lord because of our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, he says to these dear saints, I know. I see clearly what you're going through. Another uh, adjective he can use is, I sympathize. He can sympathize with us in our suffering for him. Why? He endured it. He understands. Another adjective we can use, I understand what you're going through. And I couldn't help but think of Haggai. You know, in chapter 1, verse 13 of Haggai, you know, he was called upon to build, rebuild the Lord's house. And only a small remnant came back to do that. And, of course, they started good. But, you know, they got more involved in their own houses, and they let the Lord's house go. And then, of course, as they started building again, they were being persecuted. And he goes to the Lord, and he cries out. And the Lord, in essence, says, I know, I see, but I just have one word for you is basically a few words, but one phrase. And this is all you have to know, Haggai. I am with you. Powerful words. I am with you. 
Can you think of anything more comforting to know that the Lord is with you no matter what you may be going through? You know, our Lord Jesus Christ suffered greatly. But he rose victorious in every aspect of that suffering. What words of encouragement? You you don't hear anything here. I'm going to take it away from you. I'm going to see that it doesn't happen to you anymore. I mean, those are the words we would maybe like to hear. Oh, just make the suffering go away. That's not what he says. He says, I see, I sympathize, I understand. But I also want you to know it's going to continue. But I'm going to be with you during all of this time. And then in verses 9 and 10, he points out the cause, the primary cause of their persecution. Now, we know from history that Rome played a part in Smyrna's tribulation and trials and testing and persecution. But he doesn't mention Rome here. Who does he mention? Judaizers. Notice again here in verses 9 and 10. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich and know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. The Jews, the Judaizers, were the primary instrument used by Satan to persecute these dear saints. And you know, from earliest times, it seems, the church, uh, in the history of the church, there's been so many attempts to graft Judaism into Christianity. And it's very serious. But you know, most of the church doesn't see that. You know, there are many who try to tell us that we're an extension of Judaism. Oh, no, we're not. Totally two different entities all together. There is nothing in Christianity, true Christianity, that has anything to do with Judaism. And yet, you know, it's amazing, the church today, and it's always kind of been that case. You know, you look at Paul's letter to the Galatians, the same problem. The Judaizers were trying to cram the law down their throats along with Christ. Is Christ in the law? Christ is okay, but you need the law. You need to do things in addition to having Christ. That's nonsense. See, Christ is everything. You need nothing else but Christ. But here are the Judaizers. And you see, what's so serious about this particular threat? Well, you see, Judaized Christianity prevents and obscures the gospel of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. Now, do you understand the only way of salvation? There is only one way. Salvation is by God's grace, period. The instrument is through faith, faith in the person and atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. For your salvation. 
That is the only way of salvation, period. Nothing can be added to it, and you dare not take anything from it. It is God's only way of salvation. You see, they deny the deity of Christ. Now, just stop for a moment to think of all the number of uh, groups that call themselves and identify themselves with Christianity. The ones who come knocking on your door. They vow they're Christians. But every last one of them does what? Denies the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we started our worship service this morning focusing on the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And well, we should. Because if Jesus Christ is not God, then what are we doing here? If he's not God, we have nothing. But he is God. Judaizers to this day deny that. I have a chance to witness, or I had a chance. I don't get any more. I don't know if they're even back, but for a while they just stopped allowing me to do it and cut me off. So be it. I only can do it if I, when I have a chance to do it. But they had no inkling at all about Jesus Christ being God. That They just laughed at that. Didn't believe that for one minute. That's the problem with Judaizers and Judaism. They deny the deity. That's why this is serious. And they replace the gospel of grace with a gospel of salvation by works, law-keeping, ordinances, religious observances, and you see that in Christendom all over today. And even in true Christendom, we're allowing the law to keep in. And it's interesting how we always feel we have to do or not do to maintain favor with, with God. When you're in Christ, that's all you need to be in favor with God. Christ in me is my hope of glory. Nothing else. And don't let anybody ever tell you otherwise. If you think you can do something to add to your chance of going to glory, there's a pretty good chance you're not going to glory. It's Christ and nothing else. You add to Christ, you diminish Christ. And that's a serious problem. You see, these dear saints were standing up for Christ, who he was. And his atoning work. And they didn't care what the others had to say or they would do. They stood up for the truth of the gospel. You see, the Judaizers ignore the cross and the atoning work of Christ. What do I mean they ignore the cross? Oh, they will admit that Jesus died on a cross. That's a historical fact. But when you talk about denying the cross, ignoring it and its full significance, it's because of the atoning work of Christ that took place on that cross. See, he didn't just die. He gave his life as a sacrificial, substitutionary death for your sin and mine. 
They don't believe that. And yet, for some reason, even though we are warned here, it's amazing how much of so-called Judaism, not in the whole full sense of it, but the effects of it, have worked its way into the church. And you see, what's the Lord's message to us here? Salvation is through Christ and Christ alone. Don't ever budge in any way or form from that blessed truth. Well, as we move on here, persecution of the saints of God or by, uh, by Judaizers, by Rome, or any other power, we have to understand is always through the work of Satan. Satan is behind it all. And that's made very clear here because he points out they are Jews who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue, a place of worship of Satan. He's behind all these things that we find ourselves, uh, that we call persecution, that comes in the lives of those who are living for the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, I found it a little bit ironic. Maybe I shouldn't have, but I've been studying, and we started with the church at Ephesus. You know, when we talk about Satan being behind these works of persecution, in Ephesians 6.12, they were warned by Paul through the Holy Spirit when he wrote, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenlies. Now I know almost all of you, if not all of you, know that verse. You say, oh yeah, I know that, Bob. Do you really? Do you understand what your foe is? He's a powerful foe. He's an evil foe. And he will do anything he can to destroy your testimony and your peace and your joy that you can have in the Lord. Tremendous foe. And then he goes on and warns the dear church in Ephesus in verse 13. Here's how you deal with it. You put on, clothe yourself with the whole armor of God. And then he goes through and lists all those things. We did that last year. We're not going to go through them all again. But he says, you know, this is what you're up against. And you had better understand that. Yes, he uses men and women and forces in this world to get at you. But you know, if you clothe yourself in the whole armor of God, Satan can't touch you. That's why you were told and asked to put it on, to clothe yourself. You don't pick and choose the pieces. You put on the whole armor of God that you might stand and withstand against the attacks of Satan and his host. 
And as I, I thought about that, you know, this morning we were reading about how Ephesus, although, even though they were doing many marvelous things in their church, weren't receiving much blessing because their love for the Lord diminished. Their faithfulness to the Lord diminished. How could that happen? Well, obviously they didn't heed the warning in Ephesians chapter 6. I don't know which piece of armor, and of course when I say that, I have to be a little careful because I don't think you take pieces on and off of that armor. It is the whole armor you're supposed to have on. But you know, as you think about these things as you study, well, could they have taken off you know, the blessed breastplate of righteousness, that part that just governs the heart? And what about the shield of faith? that quenches the fiery darts of the evil one that are coming from all over the place. It's obvious they did not clothe themselves in the whole armor of God. Because, you see, they fell. But, you know, the saints here at Smyrna, they heeded the warning. Because, you see, it didn't matter what was coming at them. They stood firm, steadfast, no matter what the persecution was. You see, in, in verses 10, uh, this is the first phrase I want to just read. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. That's what the Lord says to them. Don't fear those things. Oh, yeah, they're coming, but don't fear them. He then says at the end of verse 10, Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He also says, He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. What marvelous loving counsel and the final triumph for Smyrna. You know, the Lord encourages his own to boldly face the opposition and the world and Satan. You know, you and I can stand up against the world, the flesh, the devil. Why? Because Christ is in us. The Spirit of God is within us. And as powerful as Satan is, don't forget what God's word makes very clear. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in this world. Isn't that comforting to know? He says, don't be afraid of what's going to happen. I'm with you. I understand. I'll be with you through the whole thing. And of course, by, he says, be becoming increasingly faithful through these repeated testings. You know, trials and testings are to help us to grow and become stronger in the things of the Lord. But when you buckle under, you become weaker. Because, you see, you're leaning on your own strength. When you rely and depend upon the Lord, and that's what he's asking us to do, you will have the victory, no matter what it is, through the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, remain faithful to the end. Remain faithful to the end. You know, I'm 73 now. I'm getting near the end. I don't know what it's going to be. I, 
Some of you are much older than I am. You don't have to be old to be getting near the end. A lot of people younger than me die every day. But you know, no matter how long we live, the Lord says be faithful. That's in essence what he's saying here. Be faithful to the end. Now we often think of the martyrdom and the things that these dear people face. And he calls that for them to at once listen to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to them. And he gives him them two promises to, uh, related to the overcomer in verses 10 and 11. First of all, he says, you will not be harmed by the second death. Now, of course, the second death is spiritual death. You will not be harmed by that. This is our eternal security. We as believers are eternally secure. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. I couldn't help but think of John 11, 25, and 26, which really reinforces this point, and I, I think would be uh, something they would identify with, even though they probably didn't know this passage at that time. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And, of course, he's talking to the, the family of Lazarus who is in the grave. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die physically, which Lazarus did, he goes on and says, he shall live spiritually. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die spiritually. Lazarus had already died physically. That's not that big a deal. I know we dread it. We're not looking forward to it in many ways. You know, the Lord says, don't fear those who can destroy the body and who have no control of the soul. You fear him who, control, who can destroy the body and the soul. Well, I fear that one. I reverence him. He's my Lord and Savior. And because he is, there's no second death for me. There's no spiritual death for any of his children. Yes, many of these dear saints in Smyrna were going to die physically. They were martyred. But he says, don't be afraid of that. I have overcome and you will overcome that as well. And then he says, do you believe this? Now, none of us are really facing martyrdom today. There are dear saints around the world who are. We're not there yet. Yes, we do experience some degree of persecution. But in all honesty, it's very minimal. And unfortunately, in many cases, uh, we just make sure it doesn't happen. Those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you're never suffering persecution in any way or form for the Lord Jesus Christ, let's face it, you're not living very godly in Christ Jesus. Because when you stand up and be heard and counted and stand firm on God's word and his Christ, you're not going to be appreciated. 
You know, the Lord made it pretty clear that the world's going to hate you for his name's sake. So it shouldn't surprise us. You see, evidently the church of Smyrna did believe this. They were willing. Because, you see, there was no rebuke whatsoever for these faithfully suffering saints. That should tell us something. Remember we said what we're supposed to do as we go through this is evaluate ourselves as members of the body of Christ. Well, what are we, are, are we to evaluate tonight from Smyrna? Are you willing to suffer for the Lord? Are you suffering for the Lord? And if not, why not? Solemn question. And if you do suffer for the Lord, do you get discouraged? Or do you praise the Lord for the suffering? I can't help but share just a, a little incident that happened to me when we were in the uh, country uh, or in, uh, in Barranquilla, Colombia. We were, we were going door to door, and of course, uh, this one young girl who was on our team, we got in the van after we were done, and she had tears in her eyes. She says, uh, I said, well, what's wrong? She says, you wouldn't believe how many doors I had slammed in my face today. And, of course, my response was, well, did you praise the Lord for each one that was slammed in your face? And she just kind of looked at me. Well, you know, when you say something, you better be ready to respond. A few days later, as I'm handing out some literature to this man sitting on the thing, and I mentioned the name Christ, he got up and started swinging at me. I, I don't know for a fact, but I, I really feel he was possessed with, with a demon. He was fine until he heard the word Christ. And, of course, I didn't get hit, and I wasn't really worried about being harmed physically, but, you know, when you're out witnessing for the Lord, you don't want to end up knocking somebody, on, on, you know, down. And so I just prayed, Lord, you've got to deal with this for me. And just that quick, he did. So I was telling the group in the truck about this, and guess what this little girl said to me? Bob, did you praise the Lord when that happened? You know, it's easy to look at Scripture and read about these dear saints and what they went through. But notice what the Lord is saying about this. It pleases me. When you're willing to suffer for me, no matter what the cost, to the end. And then he goes on and talks about <clears throat> the, <clears throat> the, crown, the crown of life. And, you know, the crown of life is an interesting thing. You know, every believer has received the gift of eternal life. Praise God for that. I have eternal life through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Nothing can take that away. But you know, not every believer will receive the crown of life. Crowns have to be earned. Well, how do you earn the crown of life? 
You know, the Lord says to these dear saints who are truly suffering persecution, if you're willing to suffer for me to the end, even to death, many were martyred. He even mentions that. Martyred. You will receive the crown of life. Now, I know there are some who take that so literally that they believe the only people who will receive the crown of life are those who are martyred for the Lord. Well, I'm not sure that's totally accurate. Not all of us are going to be called to be martyred for the Lord. We have to ask ourselves, would we be willing to be if it came to that? Well, I know what I'd like to think my answer would be. But, of course, I wouldn't know that until I was faced with that. I think we can also say here, in essence, what the Lord is saying is, if you will be faithful to me, no matter what, to the end, whenever that end comes and how it comes, those are the ones who will receive the crown of life. Not everybody's going to receive that, because let's be honest, as we look at our own lives, I'm not sure I can put myself in this category of being just that faithful as these dear saints were. Well, that's my desire. And that's what I hope will be the case. I will be faithful to the Lord to the end But that's what our heart should be challenged with tonight. As somebody put it, and we'll close with this, when God's children at Smyrna were being crushed like myrrh. Now, what do we say was necessary for myrrh to bring forth its fragrance? It had to be crushed. And he's taken off on that truth. When When they were being crushed like myrrh, a sweet aroma of devotion, faithfulness, and love for Christ ascended to the throne of God. How sweet that must have been for the Lord. That sweet aroma. You see, these dear saints willing to suffer for him to the end. And they're going to receive the crown of life. I would love to receive that crown, wouldn't you? You know, it's not just going to happen. All crowns, rewards have to be earned. And this one is by being faithful to the Lord until the end. You see, faithfulness in suffering for what pleases the heart of the Lord concerning his church is what he really wants to see from every one of us. That begins with each of us personally, and as a corporate body as we fellowship here in Claremont or wherever you may be fellowshipping. I guess the question we just have to ask ourselves, are we such? Are you such to be faithful to the end? As an assembly, are you willing to be faithful to the Lord to the end? May it be so. Shall we pray? 
Our gracious God and dear Heavenly Father, we truly want to thank you and praise you again for these words of encouragement from your word. As we look at the church of Smyrna, our hearts cannot help but rejoice in the joy they brought to you because of their faithfulness to you. No matter what the cost, to the very end. We just pray that the Spirit of God may speak to each and every one of our hearts here tonight. Help us to examine our faithfulness to thee. Our willingness to stand firm concerning the person, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. To stand firm on the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ as the only means of salvation. May we never be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for we know that it is the power of God unto salvation, for we have experienced in our lives itself. We just pray, Lord, that we may be willing to stand up and be counted for thee, no matter what the cost might be. We can't help but remember the tremendous cost that you were willing to render on our behalf. We've been reminded many times today of your great love for us. Today we've been reminded that we are to love you above all else and be willing to be faithful to you in every aspect of the life, our lives to the end, no matter what the cost might be. Oh Lord, just help us to be doers of this word and not just hearers of it only. Part us now with your blessing Bring us to our various homes in safety, we pray. We ask these things and give you the praise in Jesus' precious name. Amen.